heavily, I'm a clown. What's going on guys? Welcome back to the Bitcoin Echo Chamber, the show about Bitcoin and Bitcoin accessories. Today is episode 20. I brought on some guy who I hadn't really talked to before uh, from Twitter. His name is BTCDCA. That's what his handle is on Twitter. And him and I had a discussion about dollar cost averaging and some of the unique benefits of dollar cost averaging as well as some of its drawbacks. Now, if you've been following me for a decent amount of time, you would know that I dollar cost average Bitcoin, meaning that I buy every single Friday of every single week. And with this rise in popularity of the stacking sats meme, I think it's useful to kind of get into maybe the science behind uh, the memification of dollar cost averaging, which is really what stacking sats is. So I think you guys will enjoy this conversation. This episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber podcast is sponsored by WTFHappenedIn1971.com. The economics meme taking the world by storm where all of us are trying to find out the answer to what the heck happened in 1971. WTF 1971 also has a merch store now. You can find it at WTF-1971.creator-spring.com. I'll post a link to that down in the show notes if you want to check it out. Thanks for the support. Brian, how you doing, man? Excellent, excellent. How are you doing? I'm, I'm really good. Uh, it's a little bit later than I usually record, but hey, I'm all right with that. Uh, excellent. Well, I'm happy to be here. I'm so. glad to have you on the show. You reached out to me on Twitter just the other day. Some random guy sent me a message and said, hey, uh, I want to come on your podcast and talk about dollar cost averaging. And I was like, who's this guy? Sure, why not? You know, I'll give everybody a shot. Not everybody gets published, but uh, everybody I'll do an interview with, right? Well, thanks again. I, I'm, I'm, I'm honored. Yeah, man. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, how'd sure. you get into Bitcoin? Like what, how, what brought you like to me today? Well, so it, it all started for me in, in May of 2017. Um, I'm, I'm in healthcare and, uh, another physician approached me and said, Hey, you, you got to learn about this. You have to look at Bitcoin. And I think I had a similar reaction to, to what most people have when they first hear about it. You, you know, you hear about a digital electronic cash and, I was skeptical. I, I think most people are. Um, doctors are notoriously bad investors. <laughs> uh, you, you probably know people in your family who have said, oh, yeah, this doctor lost it all or whatever on some investment scheme. So, I, you know, I didn't I didn't buy initially, but I will say that my investing strategy uh, for my future had been dollar cost averaging uh, with mutual funds and, and the John Vogel technique and, and using Vanguard. Um, and so. I thought, you know, I'll, I'll buy a little bit. I'll, I'll start small, maybe buy $100 a week. And at that time, as you know, that, that was right before the big run-up. And so I thought, I'm not going to lose a whole lot of money. My buddy was invested in all different kinds of things. He, he was in all of the alts, every single ICO you could think of. And he made the standard arguments for why he wouldn't buy Bitcoin. He said it was just too expensive. Hmm. So I wanted to dig a little deeper, ended up going down the rabbit hole, and what I realized is that if I could combine my dollar cost averaging strategy that I use for traditional finance and apply it to Bitcoin and see what would happen. And, you know, in doing so, I, I found some websites and, and the best one that I found and probably the most powerful one I found out of all the different sites for Bitcoin 
is this build a Bitcoin nest egg for your future. And it's, it's now, I think Matt O'Dell, I think in the guys over at, at the, the rabbit hole, uh, are talking about stacking sats and that's really taken off with jack dorsey being on their show um, but i think ultimately what they're doing is they're, they're dollar cost averaging and i think as more and more people find out about this strategy i think it's going to become more powerful so that's that's where i'm at that that's where i came from and, and landed at this spot so you you started your dollar cost averaging journey right around the peak is basically what you're telling me correct Okay, and now I know this because I started a similar uh, process right around that same time. You're in the green now. Oh, yeah. And that yeah. feels good. I'm very happy. And, and, and not only that, I mean, I haven't cashed out, so you're, you're not looking at capital gains taxes. Uh, my accountant's happy. Um, I've told him about it. He, he, for some reason, bought GBTC or something. You know, he isn't buying the actual things. He doesn't even know what it is yet, but I, I'm... I'm still trying to talk to him about it, but as you know, you know, you, you, you can't really tell people to buy it. You just have to introduce them to it, uh, give them a few good websites, and, and they have to do it on their own. It's a leap of faith, I think. Yeah. All right. So first, you mentioned uh, you mentioned the Bitcoin Nest Egg website. Now, if it's the one that I'm thinking of, it's basically a calculator where you put the date you started, uh, the amount that you invest on like a weekly basis or whatever, and it tells you how much you would have today. Is that, is that the same website? That, that's precisely it. And in fact, I just published an article on Medium about Bitcoin dollar cost averaging. I have a link to that website there. And the interesting thing to me is, is once I started to play around with this, I saw that had I started dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin at the exact time and year that I had started investing in my more traditional financial assets, I would have some, somewhere around the range of $240 million and about 29,000 Bitcoin. And, and that's when it struck me. You know, this, this asset class is so volatile that if you're buying small amounts on a regular, consistent basis, that that volatility and that time are going to be your best weapons in, in this essentially urban warfare that you're talking about in, in this Bitcoin struggle of who's going to accumulate the most. And that, that's why I think it's so valuable. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, you know, I, I don't know that there's a lot of people out there that have been diligently cost averaging Bitcoin for that long, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's maybe a couple uh, and they probably fly under the radar for very good reason. But it's that's interesting to think about, isn't it? You know, you would never have to work another day in your life. It, that's very true. Um, you know, I love my job. I do. Um but I got to say, I mean, it'd be great to be able to travel and, and do some of the other things that, you know, are just not possible right now. And in having that knowledge that there there is something out there that could potentially even go further along with the financial gains that we're talking about here. But it's also that the the capital that you're investing with that kind of gain. So, for example, I think it would be a total of a forty four thousand dollar investment over the last nine years adding up to about $250 million. So it's, it's simply staggering. And, and that, that kind of return on investment, I don't think has ever happened in human history. I mean, I'm sure there, there are some people out there who are the, the initial hodlers and, and you know, the trace mayors out there. But for the most part, a lot of people would, would sell if they had a large amount of Bitcoin, they'd, they'd dump it when that thing went from zero to 10, even, even zero to a hundred dollars. Name, 
name 10 people you know who wouldn't, who wouldn't sell a little bit. And, and I think the, the pressure is just too high on the human brain when you think about evolution and biology. I mean, I was a biology major, and so I'm constantly thinking in, in terms of Charles Darwin and uh, really just, you know, what is going to be the apex predator of money? And, and Bitcoin is something that it's swallowing all of these other assets. It's just taking advantage of, of all these other fiat currencies that are being hyperinflated into oblivion. Um, so for all those reasons, you know, you look at that and then you look at the, the national debt. The national debt is something that, you know, I'm acutely aware of when, you know, I started my practice 2010. I'm looking at this thinking there's no way that the United States is going to be able to pay off their debt. It's just not possible. And, you know, healthcare I think, is the third or fourth largest sector of, of the economy. And, you know, Medicare is going to be broke. It's, it's a trust fund. And they're funding it with, with essentially accounts receivable. So th there's going to be a day when that, that account is completely drained because they're too busy paying the interest on the debt. Yeah. And so few people understand that. Yeah. It's not just healthcare either. It's social security. It's FDIC. It's, uh, it's what caused the housing bubble in 2008. Uh, it's, it's credit creation is what it really is. It's not, it's not drawing from account balances. You know, it's not, um, taking from Friday. It's not, it's not a payday loan. It, what it really is, is credit creation. And eventually they're going to run out of credit to create because everybody's money has already been spent. Yes. And, and really without Bitcoin and in really falling down all of these different rabbit holes, like Saifedean's and Moose's book, Bitcoin Standard, and, and reading about the Weimar Republic and World War One and the origins of that and the gold standard and, and why we went off that and how they, how that led to the rehypothetication and, and Nixon taking us off in what was it, 73. And, and now they essentially just, they take everyone's assets and these, these funds and distribute them between different banks and, and risky loans to other banks. And, uh, you know, it's a recipe for disaster. They, I think right now, I think, you know, the traditional markets, they're going to continue to prop them up. They're going to do another QE and, and just pour more of the central bank assets into the stock market, either NASDAQ, Dow Jones, all of these S&P 500. That'll probably continue for the next 10 to 15 years. But during that time, you're going to see this debt just explode. And is, is more people learn about assets like Bitcoin and its deflationary nature with these, hal these halvenings, um, you can't help but think, I, I want a piece of that just for insurance. There, there's so much I want to talk about here. I mean, uh, yes. you just covered a lot of different topics. Um, the, the macroeconomics is something that's very near and dear to my heart. It's something that I pay a lot of attention to. Um, I'm on a daily basis, you know, I'm not really even in traditional markets, but on a daily basis, I'm looking at bond yield curves. I'm looking at uh, central bank balance sheets. I'm looking at uh, debt debt to income ratios of countries. I'm looking at GDP. I'm looking at stuff like that just because I'm interested in the way it all fits together. You know, uh, economics is what starts and ends wars. You know, the weapons are what keep the wars going, but the economics is what starts it and ends it. You look at pretty much any major war ever and it was pretty much fought over some sort of economic reason and it usually ended because one side or the other couldn't keep fighting anymore because they ran out of money yeah i mean there was a new york times article recently that in 2025 the united states is going to end up paying more on the u.s debt than they are the department of defense budget i mean that that 
that tells you a couple things. I think the first of which is, you know, the amount of money that we can continue to put into maintaining ourselves as the, the global reserve currency is going to start decreasing. I mean, if if our military is seen as weak, uh, the dollar is not going to maintain that status. And look, I love this country. I'm American. I was born here. Um, but I realized that the, that hegemony and, and that, that ability for the, the dollar to be the global reserve currency is, is caused a lot of pain all over the world. And this is why, this is why the, these, some other countries hate us. I mean, we've created a lot of problems and it's, it's not going to last. It's, it's a house of cards. And, you know, anybody who's following this realizes that they have to have a plan B and, and, you know, that, that mime is all over Twitter with Bitcoin. Hmm. There's even a guy I think talks about the, the stock to stock to flow ratio of the Bitcoin and why the price always goes parabolic. Uh, but I, I think all of these things come back to the, the Austrians versus the Keynesians and, and uh, the Austrian economics is something that, it, you know, again, I would never have heard of had I not started to, to follow the rabbit, you know, take the red pill and go down that rabbit hole. I have Ron Paul to thank for my uh, initial Austrian economic red pill, but he didn't teach me about Bitcoin. It wasn't until I found Bitcoin that I really, really fell in the weeds to it. But, uh, you know, like Marty Bent, we, him and you, are, you and I were talking about him before the show. He, he talks about this macroeconomic thing a lot. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's crazy because it's like we have this perfect storm that's coming. You know, we're, we're looking at what what i'm calling you know the top of a very long equity bubble you know we're looking at the the potential realization of global negative interest rates you know deutsche bank is looking at becoming a penny stock sometimes here in the near future we've got uh 10 year bonds that are negative yielding you know in in germany which is one of the strongest economies in europe all these things don't bode well for the global economy and on top of that you know in the american generations you've got the baby boomers getting ready to retire you've got the millennials are in more debt than they even make that they're then they're going to make in the next 10 or 20 years in some cases they're not adding into you know they're not paying as much taxes they're not buying houses they're not getting married even in some cases there's just this explosion of debt and it's like you said you know pretty soon the cost of servicing that debt is going to exceed even the amount that we bring in in revenues every single year and we're, we're seeing that now when interest rates are lower than they've ever been for longer than they've ever been. What's going to happen, you know, there's a very real chance. I think it was uh, Vlocker, I think, who said that we'll never see higher interest rates again in his lifetime, um, which is crazy to me. That's insane. Yeah, and it, it's scary because, you know, you, I talk to some of my patients and, and you, see, you see it around town. I mean, people don't have any money anymore. I mean, the, the average American has less than $1,000 in their savings account. Very few have any investment portfolio whatsoever. And it's just, it's, it, like you said, it's a perfect storm and something's got to give. Um, you know, the latest thing with the politicians is to talk about modern monetary policy or modern mon monetary theory, MMT. Mm -hmm. and, and all it means is it's, it's just inflated money. They're just going to print more money like they always do. Um, and, and try to solve the problem that way, put a Band-Aid on, on the crack in the dam. So let's rewind a little bit. Uh, I, I feel like we, we went so fast there. There's so much I want to go back to. You, you said 
that you know you, you had tr- first started dollar cost averaging in uh, traditional finance. Now, can you talk a little bit about uh, where you came upon this theory? You, yeah. you mentioned a book. So, so the the I think the, the thing to remember with that is I I got into dollar cost averaging from my uncle. My uncle was a electrical engineer for Siemens for many years. And although he didn't make a great salary, you know, and he, he didn't come up with anything really significant, he dollar cost averaged his entire career. I mean, uh, every month, the same amount. Um, he did get into Apple a little early. And so now, I mean, he's a multi, multi-millionaire. And you'd never guess it. I mean, the guy drives, drives, drives around in a Honda Accord. Um, he teaches special ed kids mathematics now in his free time. Hmm. And he's just a saint. But, but he's brilliant because he, he realized all the different pitfalls people could go down with finance. I mean, if you get a financial advisor per, per se, they're going to take a lot of a lot of these fees every quarter. And he started with Vanguard, and, and Vanguard was was really his go-to. And when I started my practice, uh, you know, I had one hundred eighty thousand dollars in debt, um, but I was finally making real money, and I had a chance to pay it off. Um, I met with him, met with my dad, and they were always pretty good with their money. And they said, "Look, just pay off the debt first as much as you can, but also use Vanguard." and buy three different funds, you know, go with a total stock market index, uh, total bond market index, and then a total international stock index fund and divide up the money 33% into each one. And then every month just hit that thing. And, and then at the end of the year, uh, rebalance so that it's 33% in each of those three funds. And that, that really, that strategy changed my life. It, it has really allowed me to have financial security at this point. And I'm not going to stop, but um, you know that that led to some other things. Once once you finally have some profit and you're out of debt, you start looking for more speculative investments. And I've had a lot, a lot of people will say you should have between one and five percent of your total net worth in some type of specul- speculation. Uh, Mark Cuban talks a lot about that as well. Mm-hmm. And you know, and, and for me, that was Bitcoin. And in May of 2017. You know, I think the price is around 2200 or something like that. And I, I didn't want to buy an entire Bitcoin because I didn't even know what the heck it was. I started buying $100 every week. And I, I thought, if I can do the same thing that I've done with these Vanguard funds, but apply it to Bitcoin, I think this thing is going to go parabolic, just like it would for the traditional investment over a shorter amount of time and with a smaller amount of capital. So ultimately, my hypothesis is that I'm going to make more money off the smaller capital investment of Bitcoin, $100 per week than I ever would over traditional investments with a significantly higher amount of capital invested. Yeah, that, I believe that's, that that's absolutely right. Yeah. So that's really the, I, there's no better word for it than a game. I mean, this is not gambling, I would say, because it's more speculation. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, we, we all know Bitcoin could go to zero. It really could. I don't think it will. I think it's statistically, it's very unlikely, but there's always that probability. And in my mind, dollar cost averaging is is the best way to do this and the best way to approach them. So you mentioned uh, some of the pitfalls of, of finance that, that people often find themselves in. And I saw a meme earlier today and I absolutely loved it because it was the one of the two guys sitting at the booth and each one has a, a different sign on his booth. And one guy's sitting there and he looks really bored and his sign says, understanding Bitcoin. And then the other guy has a booth and there's a line all the way out the door and his booth says, when to buy and sell. 
Now, I yeah. think that there's something about human nature uh, that makes something like dollar cost averaging seem almost unintuitive. Like, it's almost like it can't be that easy. You know, it's like I have to learn how to trade. I've got to be able to look at these charts. I've got to know when to buy. I've got to know when to sell. I've got to get in when it's low. I've got to get out when it's high. And I've got to do that constantly. And most people are bad at that, really, really bad at that. Um, most traders lose money. So why, you know... Well, what's your what case do you make for dollar cost averaging to anybody out there listening right now that that might just be buying when they think is a good time to buy and selling when they think is a good time to sell? So so here, here's my take on this. Look, I'm a physician. I, I'm not a, I'm not a trader. I'm not an investor. And none of this is financial advice, of course. But let me just say this. The human brain is not hardwired for long term investing. The human brain is hardwired for survival. We are we are always hardwired for, for the door slamming. We, we know the rack of a shotgun. We know when someone's going to attack us. We know when somebody's screaming at us and we're hardwired to, to respond to that behavior and react. The same thing can be said for trading. We're looking for these massive green candles, these big red cells, things. And, and everybody thinks they're going to find some signal in that noise and that their method is going to be the way that you can buy low and sell high every single time. But we know from history and from finance, you read any, any reputable finance book will tell you that the TA is not possible and it's not, it's not reliable long-term. I mean, you're gonna have instances of people getting very lucky on things and good for them. But look, I, I know that I'm not one, I'm not one, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna sit in front of my computer and try to make sense of a lot of the signals and all that noise. I know that I'm in this for the long-term. I think more people are. And if you do that, and if you have that, that low time preference that Safe, Safe talks about, you can really win because the volatility is your friend. The time is your friend, but the consistency is what it comes down to. And, and that's where the biggest enemy in this is, is the guy in the mirror. If you can look yourself in the mirror and continue to buy when these things drop, you know, 50, 60%. I mean, I'll tell you, since, I mean, May, 2017, we saw it go from what 2200 to 19k and then it, you know massive drops i remember buying every week when this thing was 3000 100 bucks here 100 bucks there and, and i'm getting ready for work thinking what am i doing Did, this, this is absolutely insane you had right? those moments where you'd lay in bed at night just thinking am i just completely destroying myself right yeah. now like well yeah that and you know then you know you, with Bitcoin, I mean, anybody who's been in it, as long as we've been in it, which is not long, but it's still long enough that we've experienced a cycle or at least one cycle now. You know, we talk about it with our friends, our, our colleagues, you know, our loved ones. I mean, my fiance can't stand it. She's a no-corner. She will not buy this stuff. She thinks it's insane. You're the joke. She, she's, yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. I, you know, she said, you better sell. You should sell some right away because you could, you know, you're going to double your investment. Just sell to take some off the table. And, and my point is, yeah, I could do that. But look... That extra money right now, to me, in my situation, is not going to make the difference between, you know, living in my condo here or or living under, you know, a bridge somewhere. So, you know, it, everyone has a different situation, a different you know, scenario. But, but for me, I'm in it because I think I finally have some grasp of what Bitcoin is and, and the use case and and what we're what we're all in in this for. I mean, this, I think, and that's yet another thing. This this dollar cost averaging it allows you time to learn about Bitcoin and to, to go down the right routes and the right rabbit hole to know exactly what you're buying and why without, you know, stressing at night. I mean, yeah, the, the amount of money I have in this now, yes, it's not insignificant, 
But, uh, you know, if I lost it all tomorrow, yes, I'd be really pissed off. But, I, you know, it wouldn't be the end of the world. I'd still go to work. I'd still do what I love. That's fine. But, but like you said, the, the, the emotional roller coaster that I think people go on when they go all in, they, they're going to get wrecked. No, nobody can put their entire life savings into this stuff. Look at themselves in the mirror when it goes down 80% and say, over oh, there, everything's fine. At least I, there's no way I could do that. All right. So, yeah, yeah. My, my big thing with that, when I first discovered, you know, dollar cost averaging was like, yeah, there might, you know, it, it's, it's tough, I think, um, because with, with an exponential technology, you know, as you mentioned earlier, with Bitcoin being so exponential and volatile, there's a potential that if you don't put all your capital to work today, you might really regret it tomorrow, you know, because it's possible. But, um, removing emotion from the, most people are not capable of thinking completely logically with no emotion they just aren't uh, especially when it comes to money now there i know a very small group of people that put a large amount of capital into bitcoin at the all-time high and they're still here but it's because they understand bitcoin very very well um yes. and you know, for a lot of people, I don't think that they'd be able to stomach that. And and that's one of the main reasons that like I've always recommended dollar cost averaging for people is because it removes emotion. Now, me personally, what I see a lot of times people do is they get started on a dollar cost averaging strategy and then they think that they, they build up this confidence. You know, they buy a little bit every week, they watch their stack grow and then they think, oh, I just saw the market dip. Well, I'm going to I'm going to buy extra this week, or I'm going to buy a few days early, or I'm going to, you know, they do all these little tricks and games. What they don't understand is that is not dollar cost averaging. That is trying to time the market. That is trying to buy the dips. That's a different strategy. And I'm not saying it's not viable, but dollar cost averaging is not that. Dollar cost averaging is buying a set amount on a specific time frame and doing it consistently. You, whether it goes up, whether it goes down, you buy consistently. That's such a good point. I mean, I, I know yesterday I, I made my $100 purchase and then today I thought, man, why didn't I buy today? But you know, that, that's, that's that emotional component of investing. And if you remember, look, you're in this for the next 10 to 15 years, maybe longer, maybe 20 years. Uh, you know, one day, one drop of 10% is not going to make a difference. When this stuff goes, goes down 30, 40%, the next thing you know, it goes up 250%. And, and if you look at these charts, you know, in my mind, you have to look at the monthly and the monthly is the best chart. I, I put a link on my, my medium chart or the medium article with the trading view. And it has the monthly from when I think Bitstamp is, is the chart I look at the most from the history of this. And if you look at it in log scale and you, and you zoom out, you, you see the use case for this from an investor perspective and from somebody who's, who's going to put a small amount in over time. And that it's it's extremely powerful. I think once you once you grasp that, and then it you can just sit back and think. Well, they, essentially, you laugh at it. I mean, you're going to lose a little bit of money uh, for the first day. Big deal. You wait a week. Next thing you know, you're up. I mean, who knows? It could drop another thirty percent from here. But look, if in two years the thing goes another hundred fifty percent up, who cares? Uh, the guys from TFTC have done a tremendous job turning dollar cost averaging into a meme um, yeah. because the people who are quote unquote stacking sats, they don't even have to know what dollar cost averaging is. They don't even have to know, 
you know, they're participating in a social event. Uh, and, and that's a really unique thing is like, okay, well, every Saturday we stack sats. Why? Well, that's just what we do. We're Bitcoiners. Their dollar cost averaging, you know, is what they're really doing. What they don't understand from a macro perspective is that they're bringing liquidity to a market, right? Every single Bitcoiner that buys every single week consistently is providing liquidity to miners, providing liquidity to whales, providing liquidity to anybody. And, and that's not necessarily a good or bad thing. It just is, right? But as this market continues to grow, as more and more people continue to provide this liquidity, that's what really gets this market going, right? Oh, there's, there's no question. I mean, the, you know, the, my handle, this Bitcoin dollar cost averaging, you know, it's it's really unsexy method. You know, this building a, a Bitcoin nest egg for your future. It's it's not going to get, you know, 100,000 followers. You know, stacking sats in a, in a mime like that, those guys were genius because they they put it on a hashtag and, and they have an enormous following. And, you, and you're right. It's the more people participate with this and they hold on, the longer they hold on. They're, they're going to realize that this this thing is for real. This is not disappearing. And, and with each passing year that Bitcoin survives, it becomes more powerful. And, you know, if you've read that book, Anti-Fragile by Nick Taub, I mean, it, it, you, you see, you know, this it, Bitcoin has undergone so many attacks. And, it will, and we probably haven't even seen the major attacks yet. We're going to have nation states probably at some point to try to attack Bitcoin. And, you know, who knows what that's going to look like. But... I mean, the volatility is still going to be there, but as long as you're, if you're still, if you're still in this at that time, and you and you're still accumulating throughout, you know, you're going to end up fine. You know, 10, 20 years from now, whoever, however long it will be. But there's, I mean, my my hypothesis again is, that, you know, if you, if you stick with it, you're you're going to be wealthier than a feudal lord back in the day. Um, my friend Peter, who's been buying Bitcoin since 2011, he has always said, you know, and, and he says this very publicly, just stay in the game, get in this game and stay in this game. And all you have to do is not quit and you will be a winner. You know, uh, Peter and I don't agree on everything, but one thing I agree with him very strongly on is Bitcoin's future potential, you know, where this thing is going. I don't see it going anywhere but up. No. You know, when you ask yourself the question, well, what is Bitcoin? I mean, I, I think... When I think about this, you know, it's, I think there's a couple of things, you know, it's, it's censorship resistant, it's unconfiscatable, it's programmable, it's digital gold. And it's, I think Murad said it best. He said, you know, Bitcoin is, it's pieces of super gold flying inside an unstoppable PayPal. Hmm. And, you know, you stop to think about that. We're, we're becoming a global society, whether we like it or not, we're not going to have borders in the future. And, you know, it's it's going to be probably the, the global unit of account. And if there is only a 1% chance or even a 0.1% chance that Bitcoin is the global unit of account and you own one Bitcoin, you are going to be an absolute rock star in the future. So, you know, if that's our, if that's our idea and that's our goal is, is for Bitcoin to be the universal global unit of account, um, I, I can't see a better method of investing than dollar cost averaging or stacking sats. Um, I, I played with some of the other TA things and I, I can't find the, the pattern, you know, the human brain is looking for that pattern, but I, I just don't think it's going to find. Uh, so you, you had mentioned earlier, you know, the importance of understanding this technology. I think it was Max Kaiser who said that 
someone should fully understand Bitcoin before they ever buy a single Satoshi. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I think I think that's true to some extent. I, I think that, you know, I, I wouldn't go and, you know, and I'd look back and gone back in time to May of 2017 when I bought $100. And had I bought an entire Bitcoin, I think I'd have been very nervous because that's just how I approach investing. I'm not going to invest in something unless I understand what it is that I'm buying, number one. And number two, my long-term outlook on, on how long I'm going to hold this asset. I mean, at that point, I, I didn't know if I was going to sell it the next day or, you know, if, or if the, the network would stop. I, I just didn't know what it was. So, you know, you go back to my traditional investing. I knew from family members who've been doing this for 40 years that Vanguard is a, is a pretty good way to invest and it, it has done extremely well for their families. So, you know, for me, it was, well, yeah, okay, what is this Bitcoin thing? And then you start reading books, you, you read the Bitcoin standard, you know, you listen to some uh, Andreas videos and, uh, you know, you find your favorite podcasters and, and go down that rabbit hole. Um, only by doing that, I think, are you comfortable within that large amount of really capital investment that you have, that you're building and you're stacking these sats. I mean, I've gotten to the point now where I, I feel that I know enough about Bitcoin and I have a definition of it that's such that there's no way I'd sell it. I couldn't possibly bring myself to do it, hmm. knowing what I know now, that if I wake up in 10 years and I think, oh, well, I, I sold at 10000 why the hell did I do that? It's, it's $100,000. So I, I, would, I would regret that more than anything. Do you think that some of that, so I can speak from my own personal experience. I've probably spent every day uh, in the last probably two to three years, um, every single day consuming some sort of Bitcoin content, learning, yeah. reading, yeah. listening to a podcast, whatever it is. Um, I've been addicted to the space. Now, do you think that partially you have to thank a similar hunger that you might have experienced for that understanding to having skin in the game? That's a great question. And, and I think there is something to this. I think there is a virus that spreads in your mind with Bitcoin in that anybody who loves learning and loves knowledge and loves reading is going to fall down the rabbit hole. It goes down, it, it, it hits so many different areas. It hits biology with evolution. We're talking about the evolution of money here. And this, this thing is the apex. Okay, that's number one. Number two, you're looking at history. You're looking at finance. You're looking at economics. You're looking at computer science. I mean, computer science, that's the last one I mentioned. That's probably the most important, right? I mean, computers, programming, that's what's taking over the world. I mean, I, I would have to say that for the amount of money that I put into Bitcoin now, it has been worth every single dollar that I put into this, even if it goes to zero simply because of the amount, of, amount I've learned about computers. Um, you know, I, I do some very basic programming now. Whereas before, I, I didn't do it at all. I didn't even know how to do Hello World, you know, and on the command line. So you know, now it's, I've learned so many different things. I've read so many books. And I think others feel the same way. I mean, it's, it is worth the price of admission. And knowing what it's going to be, it's just, it's icing on the cake. And so, you know, it's, you look at this and it's all consuming. It, it, it really goes down so many avenues and it impacts so many different areas of your life that you know, it's like the matrix. You, you feel as if the real world has been really, they pulled the wool over your eyes. There, there's a lot more to it than, than, than what you see every day. 
you and you had mentioned something before we started this conversation uh, off camera, and you had said that the the modern day Renaissance man is a Bitcoiner, um, yeah. and and I was really struck by that because. I am continually blown away by people that I meet in this space. You know, they're not all uh, shiny, bright apples. You know, they're not all the sharpest tools in the shed. But I'm continually blown away by the caliber of people that I meet that are involved in this, that are, you know, that that really do understand it and and that really do can kind of see the future and kind of see where this is going. And when you said this is like the modern day renaissance man, the Bitcoiner, you know, it it just clicked. I'm like, "That's, that's so true. Oh, yeah. And if you read The uh, Sovereign Individual, I have a copy here. I just finished this about two weeks ago. And I would say The Sovereign Individual is a must read for Bitcoiners. Uh, it goes into to, they, they've predicted so many things. And one of the biggest for me was the fact that, that we're going global and there's going to be a global reserve asset. And it seems to me that that because of all the problems that we've created with inflation-based currencies in Zimbabwe, Venezuela, you know, China is even hyperinflating their currency right now. Uh, you're going to see people wanting something that delivers quality. They're going to want quality results by some product or organization or person, say in healthcare. They're going to want the surgeon who has the best results. Nowadays in healthcare, you know, that that's all easily trackable. Hospitals are doing it now. We do. We keep track of all of our patients, the outcomes, the number of strokes, aneurysm repair, lower extremity bypass. All of that is tracked. Um, and, and that's for a good thing. I mean, that's going to lead to the best outcomes. We're putting this all in protocol form. But, but you look at it's something like that and you think, in the future, what, what are the, the best surgeons with the best results going to take? Do you think they're going to take U.S. dollar or are they going to take Bitcoin? And the simple answer is they're going to take Bitcoin. And they're going to go to the hospitals, which support them in that regard. And I, I think that's something that, you know, they didn't touch on the sovereign individual, of course, but, you know, the fact that healthcare may be changing with that. Um, you, you may in the future have situations where, you know, hospitals are just not going to accept anything else but Bitcoin or whatever the, the hardest money is. The best hospitals anyway. Correct. Like, like the Mayo Clinic. I mean, you may hear of places like that saying, look, uh, for our executive, you know, they have a program up at Mayo that, uh, you know, they bring their exec- executives from Fortune 500 companies in and do uh, health exam and family practice offices. And they, they do all the standard stuff you'd get at age 50. And it's a flat rate for a certain amount of money. I'm, I'm told it's about $10,000. And they do it for all their executives at these Fortune 500 companies. Well, it, you know, the inflation rates continue to go what they're going at. And uh, we have all these problems. I, I could see, you know, major health healthcare companies uh, going to a model like that. You know, I think it's interesting. Uh, I pr- should probably point out here. A lot of people, when they hear something like that, is like, "Oh, well, the best hospital in the world might one day only accept Bitcoin." They they say, you know, they immediately stop and shout, that, "Well, that's not fair." You know, everybody should have access to that. Um, sure. But you know, I would I would pause that person and say, "Well, consider the fact that." Uh, the best is the best for a reason, and there's only a limited amount of the best, and the best can ask whatever it wants. You know, it, because everybody wants the best, because the nature of human action, you know, dictates that the way that we behave, the, these markets that that appear, you know, people might 
in some circles make the argument that they're unjust, that they take advantage of people who have less, you know, that the, there's the haves and the have nots, you know, the bourgeois and the Z and the proletariat. Oh, sure, sure. And, and that's funny you mentioned the human action. I'm reading that book right now with my it's a fantastic it's, book. Uh, it is, it, you know, it's, it, it takes a while to get through it, but I would agree. It's, it's, you know, every, every line, there's something new, every page, there's something new, but, but like you said, it, it's not fair, but you know, you look at healthcare now. I mean, if you want your hip replaced, you want your knee replaced, at uh, the special surgery for joints in New York City. I mean, do you think that they're gonna they're gonna take somebody uh, without insurance? They're they're gonna want somebody who's paying either cash, either coming from another country. That happens all the time, by the way. A lot of these uh, big universities. I mean, UCLA was busted for that for giving a, a liver transplant from somebody from Saudi Arabia. Um, maybe not UCLA. I think there was another. There was a hospital in Los Angeles that got in big trouble for putting <laughs> somebody from Saudi Arabia in front of the line. Of the mm. liver transplant list, but mm. you know this stuff happens. I mean, this doesn't happen in my practice or my hospitals. But my point is, is that it, you know, people are going to gravitate towards quality products and quality services, and and those people providing those services are going to take the most valuable form of of monetary value that there is. And right now, it's the U.S. dollar. I think you know. I mean, money goes goes through stages, and, and that's something I learned from uh, VJ's article about about uh the bullish case for bitcoin mm -hmm. you know money's got to go through uh those four stages first it's a collectible you know and then speculation and it's a uh store of value and then it's you know medium of exchange and then unit of account so mm -hmm. you know you you have all those things and and we're not there yet and, right. and it, it, it you know rome wasn't built in a week right and these guys are working hard and uh all these Bitcoin core devs and, and, and then other devs, all you know, random people like me who decide to contribute to the code base. I mean, they're, they're out there and it's a worldwide phenomenon and it's not going to stop. There are, unfortunately, uh, there are a lot of people who have sort of fallen into this narrative that in order for Bitcoin to succeed, we need to go straight to step four, you know, unit of account. Uh, and, and I see this all the time and I laugh every time I see headline news that so-and-so merchant is now accepting Bitcoin um, because it's irrelevant. Uh, and, and I tweeted about this, I think it was earlier today, you know, I basically said, people have to understand why something's valuable and they have to desire it. You know, they have to want to hold it and hoard it because they think it's valuable before it matters whether or not the merchant down the street accepts it as a form of payment before it's considered a unit of account. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that stage. It's at the collectible um, and really the speculation stage. It's, it's got three more to go and we're so early. It's not even funny. I mean, for, for any of us, any of these people on these podcasts and all the listeners, if you have one Bitcoin, you are so far ahead of the game. It's so ridiculous how far ahead of the game you are. It's not even funny. And, and if you don't believe me, you, you need to read The Sovereign Individual. You go through that, and it, and it just it starts to click as to where you're at and where this is going. Yeah, I have, I have to remind myself of that constantly because we're, you know, we're not good at thinking in, in such large numbers or you know, in, no. in really small numbers. And there are not enough Bitcoins in circulation for one-eighth of all investors in the United States who own equity to have a single Bitcoin. One eighth yeah. of all people in the U.S. who own stocks, there's not enough for them to all have one Bitcoin. And then you think that Fidelity is is dipping their toes into this. I mean, how many how much how many assets does Fidelity have under management? I think there's seven or eight trillion dollars um, of different investors around here. But uh, like you said, I mean, I there's not a, even millionaires millionaires in the United States. 
you, you look at that number, there's something like 18, no, I'd have to look at the exact number, but there's there's not enough Bitcoin around for every millionaire in the United States. That that much is clear. I touch that I touch on that in my medium article, the exact number there. But I mean, even if every single millionaire said today, I want one Bitcoin, the price would, would be well over a million dollars, probably two million dollars a bit. Not but, to say that that's going to happen anytime soon, but that, that that very well could be. Yeah. And then you add up the number of millionaires who already own more than one Bitcoin, and there's the scarcity aspect is is just frightening with Bitcoin. Yeah, you know that's another thing that you see pop up a lot is people don't understand price discovery and they don't understand um, price discovery at margin. Uh, you know, you think, well, if one guy shows up and he wants to buy a million dollars worth of Bitcoin, well, that's going to make the market cap go up by a million dollars, of course, right? I mean, that's logical, but that isn't how it works because that supply has to has to find its way to that person, and that process of of market of markets happening, right, causes huge shocks to the to the price discovery. And if you know, I think there was this story not that long ago about like a billionaire talking about trying to buy a quarter of the Bitcoin supply or something like that, and all the Bitcoiners are laughing because you can't you can't do that. You wouldn't be able to. Yeah, that was that Forbes article, the art dealer in Switzerland, who said that she was going to sell twenty five percent of the float to her billionaire friends who buy Monets and Renoirs or something. I mean, it, yeah, that 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 was a that was a fluff piece at best. I mean. It, you know, and plus, I mean, billionaires are not going to go and, and, and buy on these these exchanges. They're not going to go to Coinbase and, and buy up, you know, 10,000 Bitcoin. They're, they're going to go to an OTC market that none of us have heard about. Right. Or directly to a miner, probably. They're going to go to Iceland. They're going to fly to Iceland, find find the miner and say, hey, here, you know, I'm going to I'm going to pay this price, but not a penny over. But, here, here, you know, here's here's enough money to supply your your farm for the next 10 years. Mm hmm. That's probably how that's going to go down. Sure, and and there are a lot of reasons, you know, that they do that. It's it's to avoid slippage, and it's to slippage. right, and it and it's to try to get it all at once. You know, they don't want to have to deal with like setting up all these accounts and worrying about the security brokerage of all of that. They just want it all in one one big transaction, and they they have people that they have lawyers, you know, that that sort those things out. Um, it's 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 really interesting. But and and another thing that we had mentioned before we started the cameras was uh, the supply shock, right? And what do you think about a supply shock in Bitcoin? Yeah, I think it's very real. I mean, there there's a, a website. I think I have a link to it in my Medium piece, but it's there's there's a a number of of exchanges. I think it's Bitmax, Bitfinex, Coinbase. You know, if it only takes about forty to fifty Bitcoin to move the price one or two percentage points, and that that speaks to the really the number that are out there circulating just to move the markets. There are so many people that are holding these things at home on, on probably a Trezor or a Ledger or some other hardware device or maybe running their own full nodes. I don't know. But they're, they are just out of circulation of the markets. The people have been so freaked out by Mt. Gox and all these other exchange problems. They are just they are not putting their, their Bitcoin on these exchanges. So like you said, if, if a Fidelity comes in or a whale or these billionaires just come in and, and start buying this stuff off the spot, the spot price, yeah, you're, you're going to have massive spikes. And then the FOMO is going to be out of control with the CNBC and the CNN articles. And it's going to be all over the internet. You know, we don't know. Yeah, I, I bring this up all the time. We don't know the float. 
we we have no idea what a tangible float for Bitcoin looks like. We don't really, I mean, we can speculate, like looking at, do blockchain analysis and say, oh, so-and-so amount of Bitcoin hasn't moved in X amount of years or whatever. But we really don't know what the tradable float is. Um, and yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, did you did you happen to read that book by uh, Michael Lewis? It was out a couple of years. Ago. It was called Flash Boys. No, I haven't. Sorry, I I was I Sorry. my brain messed up in that sentence. But uh, if the price could go up to fifty thousand dollars, the price could go up to a hundred thousand dollars. It could go up to a million dollars. And I know there are a lot of people out there who would say, "Well, I'm not selling my Bitcoin for dollars." You know, like I'm not. I don't care right. if it goes up to a million dollars. I'm I'm keeping my Bitcoin. Um, right, a lot, of these, a lot of these people are already millionaires. It's not like they need another hundred thousand dollars to make their life any different than what it already is. And and so, I, I'm sorry, I'm I'm not trying to say that that nobody's going to sell. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that there are so many people that already understand this so inherently. They already understand the value of this so inherently that the supply shock is a very real thing. There could be a day when there's just everybody wants Bitcoin and there isn't any to buy. Yeah, I, I think that day could be coming. I mean, especially with the, the, the halvening. I mean, the number of miners, I think it's going to go from 12 to 6, right, in 2020. So, yes, the the available number of Bitcoins is going to be lower. And and every year that passes, there's more and more people like you and I, your listeners, and these longtime Bitcoiners who are going to refuse to sell any because they know they, they don't want the fiat money. They don't want the dollar. They, they know that this has long-term value and it's essentially going to be censor, censorship resistant. It's it's free speech money. It's all those things that, that you guys have talked about on previous podcasts. And uh, the value is there. Sorry, I cut you off there. You mentioned a book by Michael Lewis. Oh, yeah. So so this this goes back to, to, to really the strategy, too, with the dollar cost averaging is that I read a book. I think it was about 2014. It was called... Uh, Michael, Michael Lewis's Flash Boys, and it's all about these high-frequency trading firms in Chicago. And what they've done is, is they, they have set up these high, these very fast trading lines between Chicago and New York City. So that let, let's say you're at home and you're on your E-Trade account, or whatever it is, or Fidelity, and you buy, say, Microsoft stock or Google stock. Well, as soon as you hit the enter button to buy, that order goes in. Well, these guys are doing what's called front run. They are able to determine what price you bought this stock at, and they're able to, to increase the price by a cent, maybe two cents, and they take the difference. So we're talking milliseconds, and that's how, that's how fast they do these, these front-running trades. With. Mm -hmm. And so in knowing that, and, and after having read that book, and then looking at all the trading that's going on in Bitcoin, you have to wonder, is a company like BitMEX, Binance, Coinbase, are these guys front-running the trades? I mean, it, it would, I don't, I don't know the tech behind it. I don't know the computer science behind it. But you, you, you have to wonder if, you know, it would be so easy for their friends to front run all these trades and take a scalp on all of them. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Or order flow is uh, is a big deal, you know. And even in traditional finance, it's it's different because you have a central clearinghouse, you know. Like, but and for there, you know, I, I'm from. I haven't read the book, but I'm familiar with the concept. You know, you have these people who fight to get the closest access points to like the New York stock exchange, because then they get, they're the, the first ones that receive that, that transaction data, you know, of a trade and that they can jump in and, and create arbitrage opportunity there. Um, absolutely. No doubt in my mind, it's happening in Bitcoin. 100%. Mm -hmm.
and, and you mentioned this, the slippage and, uh, and the, or I'm, I'm sorry, the supply shock that's going to happen and, and will likely happen. You know, when you look at backed, backed is they're going to have Bitcoin backed trading for these institutions backed up by the Intercontinental Exchange, uh, New York Stock Exchange. So, you know, you think about how the pros do it. I, I don't know for sure, but I suspect that they're also going to dollar cost average. And they're not going to, you know, put all of their investments in the first day. They're going to buy a little bit here and there, but they're going to do it on a consistent basis. And they're, they're going to be downright surgical with this. They're going to have a plan. They're going to have a long-term plan. It's not just three years, five years. They think decades. And when they think in decades, that's, that's why dollar cost averaging is so valuable. And to put it into words and unpack all of it, it's the volatility, it's the consistency, and it's the time. And it's those three pieces is where this is valuable. Um, and, and so that, that's really what I was trying to communicate with the medium piece and then with just getting the word out there about what it is so that others hopefully will try the same and, and really accumulate as many, as many Bitcoin as they can. Yeah, and and you had mentioned the volatility piece, you know, several times, and uh, volatility is tied very closely to the float. You know, the tighter a float gets, the more volatile something becomes because it only takes, like you said, uh, Matt O'Dell mentioned the forty or fifty Bitcoin to move, you know, a hundred basis points or whatever. The smaller float gets, the less it takes to move a market more, right? And and it's something that you don't really you don't really inherently understand until you see it happen in action. You can see it in like penny stocks, like these stocks that are basically just pump and dump scams that the CEOs use to dump shares on. Jordan uh, Belfort, the right? Wall. Exactly. But there are a lot of um, getting into penny stocks is a great way to understand. The structure of the stock market because you have to look at a you have to look at the company's filings you have to understand how many shares there are you have to understand if they have debt whether or not they're selling those shares to cover their debt you know whether or not they're um, going through like a split soon or something like that and when you find that perfect gem and I, I tell this story occasionally uh, about how I, I got into penny stocks for a while and I found this one that was super super low float and they were just releasing PR after PR after PR and I knew if I bought some when it was worth fractions of a penny it was only a matter of time before it went up a decent amount and i was right just because it's just the nature of the way these things work you know it doesn't take that much capital to move the market significantly right yeah i mean it, you know you think of, of where we've gone i mean where we've been with bitcoin i mean this this was you know something that was really just a collectible with you know i happened to i went to my 20th high school school reunion recently and you know i ran bumped into a buddy of mine who told me he was you know he was doing bitcoin back in the day and he had 50 or more bitcoin when it was you know 20 bucks and he, he sold when it went to 100 and he got rid of this entire position and now he, he regrets all of it and mm. he didn't know what it was he was he was a gamer and he was probably on silk road for that matter and uh you know I, looking back at those stories you just you think my god how did he sell so many <laughs> Why, why did he do that? I mean, he, he just didn't see it. And he, he regrets it now. And he knows that it would know, be extraordinarily difficult to, to get that back. But um, <laughs> it's just th those, not, like, like you said earlier, it, our, the human mind is not, it, it, can't, it, it can't always comprehend the small numbers and the large numbers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you see the institutions getting ready, uh, Fidelity, backed. All, all of these people are talking about this. And if they truly come into the market, th there's no way you can, 
you know, you're going to have massive shortages in the amount of Bitcoin that's available. You, you see people say on Twitter, you know, like just recently when we had Bitcoin move from like 4,000 all the way up to like almost 9,000 in a pretty short amount of time, like maybe three months, you see people say, oh, you, you can't go up this fast. You know, we're going to have to pull back. We're going to have to go back down. We're probably going to go lower than we were before because you yeah. just, you can't go up this fast. It's not possible. Yeah. I'm here to tell you that that's just absolutely not true and it's not founded in any kind of reality because when you're dealing with markets like it's like like we said earlier the supply shock when you're dealing with markets with float this tight and demand this high you're going to see fireworks i mean it's going to be unlike anything we've ever seen in any market ever yeah it's good to hear that from somebody who's actually been on the ground floor and been in finance been in trading because it it's true i mean from my perspective you know i read a pdf i think i know how to invest but i haven't been on the ground floor i mean my like I said, my investing history is, is Vanguard index funds is very boring, right? Very boring. And in, in Bitcoin, I have a very small amount in this, but it's it, it's much more exciting to me than the Vanguard investing simply because of the volatility and this price action and really the potential of what it can become. Um, um. Well, we had we had talked about the uh, the concept of you know skin in the game and and really trying to understand this technology. Uh, I want to plug a series my friend J W Weatherman did on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, it's it's like a basically understanding Bitcoin, understanding money, how to become wealthy type. It's like a six part series. It's actually I, I on. Yeah, I've, yeah, he, I've heard a couple of his podcasts. He's very good. Yeah, he's great. Uh, we have that whole series. It's on ten hours of Bitcoin dot com, and and in that lecture, he actually talks about the the steps you can sort of go through to make money and become wealthy right and and the lowest rung on that ladder is like slavery and or you know extremely low skilled labor right but on the high end of that spectrum is being a speculator and the way he describes this is it's sort of like a ladder and you stair step your way up you you start as a low skilled laborer you move on to something slightly more skilled you lo- you move on to specialized labor and then you move on to like extremely professionalized niche labor and then you move on to like becoming a product manager for this type of labor where you facilitate teams and then you've become such an expert in this field that you get into like product development right and you're selling ideas to people to make this service better, you know, because you, because you're an expert in the field at this point, and this is where you're making the big bucks. And it's only then that you already understand whatever it is that you're dealing with so well that you can see opportunity to make money in speculative, um, circumstances, right? Where you see, well, I see this new thing happened, right? And I understand this market like the back of my hand. And I know that this is going to change the way this works. So I'm going to buy this now so that when it changes how this works, everyone's going to buy that from me. That's yeah. The way a speculator sees opportunity. Yeah, I mean, that's much like with the gold rush, you know, the 1800s. It was the people who sold the shovels and the picks. Those are the people who made all, you know, the the massive returns. Not the the people who are buying a small amount of gold here and there. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, if if you look, if you're a programmer and you have uh, significant capabilities and skill, you know, you're going to work for, you know, you're going to create your own company probably, have massive equity and skin in the game. And that, that's who's going to you know, be the, the next tech titan. So the people who are at the ground floor of this and, and doing that. I mean, if, I will say if, if I didn't love medicine and what I do so much, I, I would probably dabble in that or try to at least try to. I, I think that you really hit the nail on the head earlier, you know, where you said like the people who get in this and, and really understand it, 
you know, and, and that are in this for the long haul, they're, they're going to be the ones that really like went out in the long run and, and that they sort of are like the, the expert speculators granted, you know, they might not necessarily be programmers like people like you and I, who, yeah, we can write a little bit of code, but let's be honest, right. We're, we're not programmers yet, but we've taken the time we've come into this. We've invested all this time to understand this and, and we get it. We see it. All the pieces fit together. It's there. Yeah, there, there is no question. I mean, you know, you, I think a lot of people who probably started out as kids programming and they understood all the math behind this and they can just, they could basically do it in their sleep. Those are the people that are, are going to profit the most off this. And knowing this technology inside now, you know, they're not going to get scammed. They're, gonna, they're not going to lose their private keys. They're going to be the ones developing the hardware wallets, like the guys who invented Trezor. I mean, they are just absolute whales, I'm sure, at this point. Mm. And, and, and as they should be. I mean, they put in they put in the work, and uh, they understood it from a very early stage. And uh, you know, that, that's exciting to see it see it go that way. Hmm. So I, I guess you know, this has been a very tangential conversation, but I love it. Uh, it it's great, especially because Bitcoin is a very tangential topic. There's a lot yes. of things you always have to go down. But let's bring it back to dollar cost averaging, right? Sure. sure. Let's get people started, right? stacking sats you know if, if you have to follow the meme follow the meme but guys this is the way to go i mean brian here will tell you all you have to do is start you know the sooner you start the better because five years from now you're going to wish you would have already started sooner sure i mean you're going to look back on this if, if you do this right now it's, it's my opinion and look I'm, again i'm not a financial advisor um <laughs> i think in 10 years time you're going to look back and you're going to say this this was the most significant investment I made in my lifetime. I think it's a once in a generation opportunity. I think we're right before the, the institutions are going to get involved. And if again, if there's a 1% chance that this is going to be a global uni universal uh, account for everyone, for what, 6 billion people on the earth to use someday, uh, you cannot miss it. And, and whether it's $25 a month, $50 a month, $100 a month, you're not gonna you're not gonna regret it at least i have not i have yeah. not i yeah. could cash out today with significant profit and still have a lot of you know it's like one in hand two in the you know one in hand is better than two in the bush you know i could do that today and go down the road but i'm, I'm not going to because in my particular situation I, I don't need to but there are people who who need the money and i get it times are tough for a lot of people right now but um you know for a lot of investors who are already high net worth worth individuals they're in this because they know that it's an insurance policy. They know that a lot of the dollars that they may think is in the investment funds in their Vanguard account or in their Chase Bank or wherever it is, it's not really there. These banks are playing games and the money we think we have could evaporate much faster than Bitcoin could. And I think that's the use case. And, and the more you learn about this technology, the more you realize that. But to me, dollar cost averaging is something that it takes the emotion out of it. I'm not going to I'm not going to take my net worth after, you know, 9 years of backbreaking work and study to throw it into something that's as volatile as it is. It's just that I wouldn't be able to perform at the level I perform every day knowing that, you know, I could, you know, lose everything I worked so hard for. So, in that respect, I think that going in at a very small amount on a on a consistent basis um, and not giving up for 10 years will still be difficult. There'll be times you're going to lose 80, 90% but you're going to have massive gains along the way as well, too. So in the end, you know, if you go back to that building a Bitcoin uh, nest egg for your future, 
just plug in the numbers and, and see how you would do over a certain time period. And then decide for yourself. I mean, everybody's got to make that decision. And the biggest enemy you're going to face in, in dollar cost averaging is the guy in the mirror. Uh, you're going to wake up some days and say, this is absolutely insane. I have no idea why I'm contributing to this fund and what, whatever this Bitcoin is and what you, what you think it is. But over time, it, you know, I'm very happy thus far with the investment. Yeah, I, I, I want to reiterate to the listeners, like anybody out there that is still kind of putting their toes in the water in this or they're on the fence and they're not sure, you know, like Brian said, you could do this like $15 a month, $20 a month. Like we're not talking like, first of all, yeah, not financial advice, but $15, $20 a month, if that's what you want to do, you know, just to get exposure. Remember what we said about skin in the game. Once you get involved in this thing, it will get its teeth in you and you, it will not let go. You will be hooked. Um, and at least if you're, if you're like us and you like to learn and you like to ask questions, but yeah. And, and that's the other thing too, that I, I think, you know, that I'd like to end with is it's not just the money. It's the amount of reading that you're going to end up doing and all of the different things you will learn about history, economics, finance, computer science, all of this in biology. I mean, this, this is evolution in action. And, uh, you know, you're, you're not going to be disappointed with the amount of money you're going to, well, not the money, but really the amount of knowledge you're going to gain and really the relationships you're going to have in the process. I mean, a lot of the meetups, you know, I'm friends with a lot of people now. Uh, I've met you, I've met a lot of other people online and, and you just, um, it's fun to see what other people post over time and how, and how they evolve with this, with this, uh, new a- asset class and finance. A lot of great people in this space too. Absolutely. I wanted to go to Bitcoin in 2019, but uh, the schedule just wouldn't allow it right now. But. There's a lot of scammers too, so uh, you know, listeners beware. But there are there are a lot of really great people in Bitcoin. Yes, yes, uh, absolutely, and, and that you know, I think I'd say there's just as many scammers in traditional finance. You know, um, <laughs> probably, yeah. Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin's maybe just maybe more. <laughs> yeah, maybe probably more. Yeah, probably more. Well, uh, guys. I encourage you. So what I'm going to do, Brian, I'm going to post your Medium article in the show notes. And anybody, you know, who who listened to this conversation and at least found it interesting, go check out Brian's article and look at the DCA calculator that he's mentioning. You can play around with it. You can say, okay, well, let's say I started buying $20 a month of Bitcoin back in 2016. How much money would I have today? You might be surprised to see the answer. Yeah. I mean, with everybody said, oh, it was a bear market. It was so horrible. You know, well, actually, it wasn't so bad. So as long as you as long as you uh, put in the amount that you could afford to lose over time and you're not going to take it out. DCA is, is, in my mind, the best strategy. I mean, if anybody else is out there and wants to challenge me on this, I'd love to debate it. I'd love to hear a better strategy. Brian, we're about out of time, man. You got anything else you want to hit on before we head out? No, that's just it. I mean, the, I guess the last thing is that, uh, I mean, my definition of Bitcoin, it's the apex predator of money. Uh, it's not going away. And uh, thanks to Murad, it's also pieces of super, super uh, gold flying inside an unstoppable PayPal. So let's, uh, that's a good let's, one. There it goes. All right, man. Well, so where can people find you if they want to follow you, keep up with your work? Twitter, Twitter is the best. Um, I'm on there about every day uh, at BTCDCA. So uh, feel free to check it out and uh, let me know if you like the podcast. All Thanks right. for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. I, I love this. This was a great conversation. Lots of energy. I loved it. Yeah, man. And, and good luck, man. I think you're going to be a heavyweight here. Thanks. I, I really appreciate that.
All right, hope you guys found that useful. Don't forget, you can check out Brian's Medium post. I'll have that link down in the show notes below, or you can follow him on Twitter. He's only got like a couple hundred followers on Twitter, guys, so maybe he's uh, flying under the radar. I love getting people on this show who are doing podcasts for the very first time or who, you know, they're just now getting their feet wet with sort of being more involved in having a voice around Bitcoin. You know, so far they've been lurkers and learners. Those are the best people to get on my show because they often bring a a fresh and unique perspective, uh, which believe it or not, I love on the Bitcoin echo chamber. It's kind of the reason I named the show what I did is to poke fun at the idea that we're all just robots championing around one or two figureheads and echoing what they say. All the Bitcoiners I've met, they're very unique people with very unique perspectives, and a lot of times they don't agree on things. So if you're interested in coming on the Bitcoin Echo Chamber, hey, reach out to me. You can find me on Twitter at heavilyarmedc, the letter C, or you can find me over at bitcoinechochamber.com, where I have an email account set up over there. Uh, for the website that's bitcoin echo chamber at gmail.com and don't forget guys you can find the bitcoin echo chamber on pretty much any of your favorite podcasting services just look us up and if you're listening on one of those i would really appreciate it if you give me like stars or a review or thumbs up or whatever it is on whatever platform you're listening that really goes a long way to help me out guys i really appreciate it but if not i appreciate you listening anyway and i'll see you guys next week